The psychotherapy written case is a summative assessment of the RANZCP fellowship program. The assessment involves providing psychotherapy under supervision using therapy informed by psychodynamic principles for at least 40 sessions. The psychotherapy should last for 6 to 12 months with at least one session weekly. In this episode of Psych Matters, Dr. Shane Gill leads a discussion on the psychotherapy written case during COVID-19. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Dr. Shane Gill. I'm a Director of Training in South Australia. Today we'll be talking about the psychotherapy written case, in particular conducting the psychotherapy using video conferencing. Usually the psychotherapy for the written case is expected to be conducted face-to-face and it has only been in relatively exceptional circumstances that trainees have been allowed to conduct a few sessions by video conference. For example, if the trainee is uh, moving away um, to a different location due to a change of rotation. However, with the COVID-19 pandemic, many trainees have now found that they have needed to conduct their therapy via video conference as many services have expected that uh, patient contacts are conducted um, by that format and that uh, many patients have felt safer if they can conduct their therapy via a video conference. Therefore, as this has now become quite a common practice, trainees need to be aware of the implications for video conferencing on the therapy and what they need to do to reflect on that experience when they write up their psychotherapy case. Joining me today, I have Dr. Nabil Cherawala, who is a um, trainee who has uh, completed his psychotherapy case and he's recently um, undertaken some research into this area which has been accepted for publication in Australasian psychiatry. And I also have Dr. Kathy Lubbrook, who is an experienced psychotherapy case supervisor and our psychotherapy tutor here in South Australia. First of all, Nabil, could you tell us about some of the key differences between video conference dynamic therapy and face-to-face dynamic therapy that you discovered in your literature review. Thanks, Shane. Um, I'll discuss two main differences that are reported in the literature, which are of transference and confrontation, and then briefly touch on some other relevant aspects. Firstly, there are a lot of case studies that discuss the emergence of new transference reactions when changing to remote therapy. Registrars are always going to be mindful of transference, but they should now anticipate a possible change when transitioning to video conference. One example that I found really interesting is reported in our paper. In this case, midway during a video conference psychotherapy session, the therapist is interrupted by a door knock and is occupied for several minutes off screen. Uh, During this time, this patient has a swirl of fearful emotions and, and later reveals to the therapist that they imagine the therapist being attacked. Through some exploration, it was understood these emotions reflected the patient's own developmental traumas, which to that point had never been able to explore. 
Managing interference and confrontation are an interesting part of video conference psychotherapy. There is a risk that patients might consider video conferencing to be more informal than attending an office. As a result, registrars might find any number of subtle behaviors interrupting therapy. Consider a patient who might flick between computer or phone apps, choose to smoke, or perhaps turns on some colorful background or filter. There might even be a cross into boundary violations, like a patient who prefers to lie in their bed during video conference therapy. Confronting this always poses a risk that patients can simply just close the app. So I would encourage registrars to take note of any behavior they feel is unhelpful and bring it to supervision. When it comes to therapeutic alliance, trainees might be worried that there will be adversely affected by the transition to video conference. However, studies have shown that while the therapeutic alliance is perceived to be less strong by therapists, during video conferencing, it is reported as being equally strong by patients themselves. Lastly, I'll just finish by acknowledging that the virtual space between the therapist and the patient in video conferencing can have profound effects on the therapy framework itself. One example that might be relevant for some registrars is when the virtual space parallels Winnicott's transitional space. And in fact, video conferencing might be a particularly helpful medium for growth in these patients. Thank you very much, Nabil. Kathy, I wonder if you could talk about some of the issues that trainees will need to be aware of in terms of conducting therapy via video conference, and perhaps in particular, setting the frame for therapy when conducted through video conference. Thanks, Shane. Setting up the psychotherapeutic frame when changing to video conferencing is important, and it's important to think about this before doing it. Uh, Conducting psychotherapy via this modality during COVID-19 has provided the opportunity to learn by trial and error uh, about this very important aspect of providing therapy. Based on my experience of using video conferencing and the experience of supervising trainees using this modality, uh, I make several recommendations. Prior to changing from face-to-face video conferencing, it's important to discuss the platform that you're going to use with your patient. Also, the security associated with the platform, because some patients may have concerns regarding that. It's important to communicate the details of the link and how you will actually send that to them. There needs to be an agreement that no one else be present during the video conferencing. Uh, and that there'll be no recording made because I've had discussion with trainees about this and and you don't actually know whether someone is present or whether the person's pressed the recording button. So I think it's really important in setting up an agreement with the patient that neither of those things will be done. In my um, experience with the video conferencing in the last few months, I think it would be ideal that both parties sit in the same room each appointment as in the separate rooms that they're in so the background environment remains static I think it can be a little bit distracting if you're seeing a patient that moves from week to week from room to room because I think it takes away your focus from the actual patient because you can find yourself looking at you know where are they are they lying on the bed Um, have they got the dog there what's the dog's name etc so although that isn't something that I put into place during this period. If I was doing it again, uh, it's something that I would address. Uh, if you have an agreement um, via or on all these subjects to do with video conferencing, 
it'll be much more easy to determine if the patient is gently pushing these boundaries, which then needs to be addressed within the therapy. If it's not up, set up clearly, then you're forever trying to work out, well, are they pushing the boundary or not, if it's just something that we haven't clarified. So there are some of the thoughts that I've had um, about setting up the frame using video conferencing. Thank you very much, Cathy. The um, Nabil, uh, in your research, you looked at the various video conference platforms that exist and certainly there are quite a number of different platforms available, each of them having their own pros and cons. In particular for this purpose, namely psychodynamic psychotherapy, I wonder if you could um, talk about the various platforms and what each of them offers in this setting. Absolutely. Um, so I like to group the choice of platforms into three main categories. The first are the clinically designed platforms. These include HealthDirect, Koivu, and Jabra Cisco. I like the emphasis on patient data security and its ease of use for clinicians. The downside of them, however, is you need to check with your employer if there's a license for free use. And after that, there's usually a clinical governance pathway that registrars need to sort of use to register accordingly. Anecdotally, I've heard mixed reports about the quality of the video and audio and some of these using room-based equipment. The other big group are things like Zoom and Skype, which are certainly the most used platforms. Unfortunately, both have seen a lot of notoriety in the media uh, for these poor misleading security features. To my understanding, Zoom now has end-to-end -end encryption for licensed or paid accounts. For the purposes of the psychotherapy written case, so perhaps a 60-minute session between two parties, Zoom's free-to-use account would be appropriate. Uh, and especially when you're using features like the wait room or the capacity to lock meetings, that's going to improve your security. I really like the capacity to record sessions, and I think screen sharing and data sharing, um, as well as the good audiovisual quality and, and accessibility, does make it a popular choice. Um, like Kathy mentioned, it is important to discuss the security and privacy issues when you're going through the consent process. And if there are concerns around this, you can purchase a, a Zoom license for about $20 a month, which will have that end-to-end -end encryption. The, the last group um, is the social media-based platforms, um, all of which offer end-to-end -end encryption and are usually pretty intuitive to use. The most common of these will include FaceTime, WhatsApp video, Facebook Messenger video, and so forth. The main limitation with these platforms is that they're designed for social use and, and therefore come with a lot of distracting features. Um, you know, this could be conducive to the interfering behaviors we spoke about earlier. There is this ever-present accessibility issue as well, especially if patients can see their therapist as being available or online outside of therapy hours, and especially if they then choose to make contact. There are also potential boundary issues in providing your personal number to your patient uh, or making them a contact to your WhatsApp or, or Messenger account. In terms of actually conducting therapy, consistency is key. Despite the accessibility, I agree with Kathy, you know, keeping therapy to the same weekly time in the same location will mimic in-person therapy. Turning off those unnecessary features like the self-camera option can also help maintain that therapeutic frame. And if we do have consent for audio recording sessions, we now need to reconsent if we're going to be doing video recordings. 
And lastly, I'll just finish by saying that the literature is still evolving when it comes to psychodynamic therapy and video conferencing, and will hopefully grow more with therapists and patients' uh, experience during COVID. Um, at the moment, the data does suggest transitioning from an established in-person therapy is better than just starting de novo new therapy via video conference. Thank you very much, Nabil. Now, my final question is for Cathy. The college expects that when a trainee has conducted a substantial part of their therapy via video conference, that the impact of that on the therapy and on the transference will be discussed in the write-up that the trainee submits to the college for marking. Can you perhaps talk about some of the issues that you think trainees will need to address when they're writing up their psychotherapy case when uh, some of it has been conducted by video conference? And um, what are some of the reflections that they should um, make? Thanks, Shane. As we all know, um, the trainee's ability to reflect on the psychotherapy case, all aspects of it, is really important in the write-up. This is a, a list of um, ideas that I had that I felt would be helpful to put in the write-up um, to give a, a clear description of your experience of the change that you didn't expect in the therapy. Um, the first one was to include your personal experience of the transition to video conferencing as well as your patient's experience and it might be helpful to have actually asked them about or if you haven't asked them about it and you haven't finished therapy perhaps ask them because I think you can actually get some surprises. Think about whether you noticed a change in the transference or in your counter-transference experience um, after the change. Uh, in my experience, my counter-transference feelings were diminished, uh, which I think related to the sense of detachment uh, created by the video conferencing. Ask yourself, did you notice a change in the patient's resistance or avoidance of important themes? Did you find yourself relying more on verbal communication because ascertaining non-verbal communication was more difficult? What effect did it have on the shared emotion between you and your patient? In my experience, it virtually eliminated this form of communication, uh, which concerns me about in psychodynamic therapy, because it does raise the question, will that have an effect on the therapeutic alliance? So it was interesting to hear from Nabil about um, the evidence so far that from the patient's point of view, it doesn't. I certainly, from my point of view, um, being the therapist, I was concerned about that aspect. I think it's also useful to make a comment about the overall effect you think it had on the progress of the therapy, so a more general comment about it. The ideas that I've had there aren't necessarily exhaustive, um, and I think trainees should follow their own intuition as well in terms of what did they find interesting about the change and reflect on it. Um, I think it shows a, a level of maturity and thoughtfulness about what you're doing at all times. Thank you very much, Cathy. I'd like to finish by advising trainees to make sure that they do raise these issues in their supervision with their supervisor and that they do discuss issues of setting the frame, choosing the platform and then reflecting upon and thinking about um, changes to transference and resistance and the progress of therapy because that will perhaps be something that supervision will need to focus on to try and ensure that the experience is 
both therapeutic for the patient and a positive learning experience for the trainee. I'd like to finish by thanking um, Dr. Cherawala and Dr. Ludbrook for joining me today for this podcast. I hope that it will help trainees in conducting their psychotherapy case in these somewhat challenging times. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Psych Matters. Feel free to share it with others and keep an eye out for future episodes. Psych Matters is produced by the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists.